So, Chip, what kind of animal do you want to be? <laughs> I want to be a goat. I want to be the goat. That's right. Yorgos Lanthimos coming up right now. And now, the starting lineup for your... Jason's, what's up, guys? I go I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. What the hell is going on? Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague here with my co-host, Evan Fagundis. Hello. And JT Chipman. What's going on? And this week we are discussing the work of the Artur Yorgos Lanthimos and we are ranking all of his solo directorial outings from worst to best. But before we get into that, how are we doing this week, gentlemen? Chip, talk to me a little bit about how you're doing after binging Yorgos movies for the last two weeks. You know, I just checked into this hotel and they've got these like weird rules that they're trying to force on me. So I'm potting live uh, kind of from the universe of of our guy, YL. Um, I'm, I'm very good. You, it, This was an emotionally taxing week and I ended up kind of having to do a little bit of a binge session um, to kind of cram stuff in, which is perhaps not uh, what the Surgeon General would recommend, but it happened. So I'm coming in pretty raw. Evan, how are you doing? This is your guy. We're here. We've made it. You know, I haven't left the confines of my hedged house for about <laughs> seven or eight days at this point. Uh, it's just been me and my family, and we've been doing quite well. Um, but but I'm I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. I I am really excited to talk about Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, I'm excited to be doing another ranking too. I feel like we haven't ranked for a little bit, and there's just something fun about getting to talk about all of them um, because I think there's going to be some agreements, some disagreements. Um, different tastes for these movies as we go, um, but that'll make it really fun and and really fun to try to kind of you know go for those arbitrary five five to four switches or something that can make us feel better about ourselves. Yeah, was that, I, was that make you feel better about yourselves? Was that more directed to yourself or to us? Be honest. Um, any one of us, you know, we we all have our moments on the rankings where it's like we get a small win on like flipping a, a three to a two. And we just, I feel like that makes our week a little bit. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll take that. I don't know if you guys are feeling that. Yeah, Every yeah. once in a while, you know, like when I get, when I absolutely played you guys on the Mission Impossible pod you and got my no, way, I was floating on a cloud. Me. No, you fucked me so so hard. Like, I believed you. I looked into your eyes. It's still one of the most, like, I've, I've never felt so backstabbed. You're like, listen, we can do this, but only if we get this at two. And you're like, 100%, I'm on board. And then you just immediately turn around and go, okay, chip. So we're definitely not doing that, right? It was, I walked uh, around for a week telling everyone that I had the definitive Mission Impossible rankings in my head. Yeah, well, just you know what? No Vaseline. No, va- no Vaseline. Um, like we always start with these, uh, these kind of talking about directors. I like to talk about like, what's this, this signature? of this director and this is a very loaded and complicated question uh when it comes to Yorgos Lanthimos Evan because he's your guy we'll kick it off with you what what do you think his signature is I mean I think you have to say okay we can talk about signatures we can talk about through lines a signature of his is like the dialogue and the way characters deliver dialogue I think and uh there are definitely thematic um, um, similarities, like lots of direction involved in Yorgos Lanthimos' movies. Um, lots of people are, there's very clear um, delegations of power in his movies that I think is something mm. that's very consistent. Um, but the one through line and what you what makes a Yorgos Lanthimos movie is 10 minutes in after you've heard the first three conversations and they all have that similar kind of like stilted, almost robotic way of... Uh, of talking and and his performers honestly almost even perform it in the same way um, throughout these movies. So I'd say that's that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. I, I texted Chip uh, this earlier, but all of these movies have just the biggest. Honey, I watched the strangest film on the plane on the way home last night. Like it, it's like you're you feel comfortable maybe turning it on, like you can wrap your head around the premise, but then you're just left with so many more questions than you entered with. Um, and maybe I believe that because that is actually something that happened to me. Like when Rachel literally got home and had watched The Favorite on an airplane and was like, 
I really liked this movie, but it was it was kind of strange, and it was like helped me parse through through this. Um, but all those movies, like watching them this week and some of them seeing some of them for the first time, was very much like, oh yeah, all these movies are like this. So I don't know. What do you think, Chip? I think about those tweets where it's like, I made a computer, watch ten thousand hours of show <laughs> X, and then spit out an algorithm of a of a script um, because. It is very alien. These are not real people. I don't think Yorgos Santhemos is very concerned with how real people talk. I think he's concerned with how they behave and like, you know, extreme metaphors and examples that illustrate something else. But he doesn't want to show how just like normal people go through life. He might be making a point about normal people, but he's not going to use normal people to tell that point or normal dialogue to tell that point. I think he's very, it's so rigid, everything he does from the dialogue to the cinematography, the way the camera moves, or frankly, the way the camera doesn't move. Mm-hmm. I think he's very much a student of Kubrick in that, you know, you're either like steady cam locked on or the camera just is, is still and it's a portrait, right? You know, it, and that makes it more of a, um, you know, when he goes away from that, it becomes more stark and apparent. So your your fish islands is in the favorite. Or when the camera goes handheld at the end of Dogtooth. Yes. Um, it makes it so much more powerful and stand out, which I, which I do find pretty interesting and um like even in, in the lobster during the chase scenes those are filmed those are slow motion right so there's still not a like a fast camera in sight nothing goes fast in mm-hmm. the world of of, of of yl there's no fast and furious here it, it, it honestly in a weird way watching these films this is going to sound odd but the they feel very connected to wes anderson's universes to me like I, I got this like distinct kind of like almost like dystopian Wes Anderson vibe. Like the way they deliver the dialogue is is punchy and 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 kind of like a little bit alien. Um, his worlds aren't as colorful, but even some of the ways he uses the camera, like you said, the slow motion shots, um, you know, some of the the quirky uh, camera angles. I just it, it was really hard for me to separate that. Um, my head did go there. A decent amount which i thought was really really interesting i i don't know if that's somebody that he uh you know is is ever like listed that he's inspired by but i i felt that like coming out of these movies in a way yeah that's an interesting point i think they have very similar tendencies even even the way conversations flow um in a yorgos lanthimos movie is kind of similar to like a conversation in fantastic mr fox where there's yeah. like a lot of non sequiturs and it's almost like the characters aren't even reacting that much to what other people are saying or what other characters are saying to them. They're more just like saying their line. Um, And a lot of what you guys are saying, like I'm curious to talk a little bit about the fact that like you could almost say Yorgos Lanthimos is a sci-fi director um, or I don't know if it would be sci-fi because he's not inventing like science necessarily, Um, but he's literally creating alien worlds. I mean, or you could almost call it like... (laughs) A multiverse or something like yeah. it's like a world that we don't inhabit but has characters with similar tendencies in a way um but they are all inventions of his and that almost comes back to the camera and stuff like he won't even show people's faces because it's like in his world looking at somebody's face doesn't really matter that much yeah i i think that is so true he does create his own worlds and one thing that i really do want to focus on because we talked a little bit about the way dialogue is delivered the way that exposition happens in his movies is just so i know it's wonderful i I, it's like it was my favorite part of watching these movies is like within the first 20 minutes of every movie he tells you the premise through the characters like straight up like very plainly hey this is the world that we're in right now i think like the lobster obviously stands out with the whole scene of them checking into the hotel and then uh you know his first couple conversations um you know with the other two gentlemen uh that he befriends you're kind of like you know exactly what the stakes are. You know the world we've entered. You realize that it's, you know, kind of, I guess, a bit of the motivation behind, like, why people are doing it. Um, it's it's really plain to see. And I did really admire that about uh, his movies because I think it would be really easy for the premise and the worlds to stay a little bit more convoluted for a longer period of time. But he lays it out really cleanly. I think there is also some symmetrical similarities just in terms of shot composition, um, you know, furniture, room layout that are parallel to Anderson. 
Uh, I also thought about David Fincher, and I'm, I'm needing some almost help flushing out this take. But people talk about how fin- people sometimes will say Fincher is emotion an emotionless director. There are mm-hmm. no, or he's a stu- like he studies and analyzes emotions instead of like seeking to um, understand and kind of identify with them. And I thought about that some with Lanthimos as well. He seems like he's very analytical of emotions, and he'll have like you know characters say really emotional and powerful things but with no emotional delivery. And I think that, that I think it's very intentional. I think that's, that's obviously his directorial cues that he's giving, you know, Nicole Kidman or, or Colin Firth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost like you learn about emotion from the lack of emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting point. And um, it's like, learning from emotion through lack of emotion and also actions. He's very interested in what people actually do versus what people say they're going to do. Or even people like people in his movies don't even have that much reflection on their current situation. Like even in the lobster, it's very matter of fact, the way Rachel Weisz is describing their world and she'll say this thing or that thing seems unpleasant, but it's not as much like a, a, dour take on it it's more just very matter of fact and it's all about like how people respond to their situation i mean it it comes back in in dog tooth um and a lot in like killing of a sacred deer you know it's like colin farrell farrell's character could say anything but like the story is not interested in that the story is interested in whether or not he's going to kill one of his kids and it's very <laughs> and it's very directly that alone <laughs> Yeah, I already I, said Colin Firth once instead of Colin Farrell. We're off to a <laughs> rip roaring start. Um, <laughs> speaking of speaking of Firth Farrell, I think it, it's obviously impossible to talk about these movies without talking about the people that populate uh, his movies. Mm-hmm. And I think Evan, I don't. Did you say this on in recording last week where you're like, whether or not you guys want to like say you like him, like you you love. Like we all love Olivia Coleman, we all love yeah. uh, we all love Colin Farrell, we all love you know the people that are in his movies that clearly think he's a genius, right? So there has to be some kind of level of trust. I mean, didn't Emma Stone say after like basically she's like I will do whatever he wants to do for the rest of my career? Like I think he's a complete genius. So I think yeah, yeah I mean Alicia Silverstone in uh, Killing with Sacred Deer, she filmed, you know, she had two scenes. She filmed them all in one day, and she was like, yeah, I'll follow your ghost to the ends of the earth. I was like, you're there for one day. Like, she, and she's so particular about her projects ever since mm-hmm. Clueless. She doesn't really do that kind of stuff. She she has, you know, she can write her own ticket, basically. And she's like, I will do whatever he wants, and if he wants just one day of me, he's got me. That um, is incredible. I, I'll, I love seeing her pop up in that movie. It's just so cool. It's like... It almost feels a little bit meta in a way or something, but it's always it's always a little bit of a shock when I re-remember that it's her, you know, like 45 seconds after she first comes on screen. Um, but yeah, I this guy's got the the people at the top of their games, like who I mean, Nicole Kidman can be in any movie in Hollywood, basically, right? Like she's the first call for a character between like 35 and 45 right now or something kind of that sweet spot like I don't maybe even like 30 to 45 I don't know but like she is the first call and she chose to do this weirdo like psychological thriller horror thing with stilted dialogue for you know a few million dollars like these movies until recently weren't like huge either yeah that is interesting I didn't look at that uh, I'm assuming the favorite is his highest grocer. Oh, I yeah, prob uh, yeah, probably just because of the distribution. Yeah, um, that was that was that was my guess. But yeah, I had no like that. Yeah, I mean, it almost I, made a hundred million, made ninety six million dollars. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. and I, I had no idea, um, how much of like any of these movies made. Like I, I think I'm like pretty unfamiliar with like the landscape of the of his like fandom. Like I just know I've always known him more from like this is gonna sound snobby, but the art side of of things, you know. Um, any other Yorgos overall thoughts that we want to get out before we start ranking, or are we are we ready to kind of inform the rest of the conversation through our rankings? I mean, my guy is just a fucking weirdo. Yeah, like, you, it, you you hear a lot about like. Oh, what what must this director's childhood have looked like? I really wonder about 
my, his backstory and like how he arrives at these tales because you know they're not really rooted in like even like I kind of take it here is like based on like a old uh, fable or some mythological poem that doesn't really relate to the actual story it's just like he pulled it out of there somehow his imagination is is fierce and very unique I agree. And I will just say that I like him very much. And even these movies, um, some of these movies we'll talk about, I don't think are great movies or even good movies. Um, I'm very interested in everything that he does. And the fact that he's taking this kind of popular turn, I'm very interested in. I'm I'm curious to see if he kind of reverts back um, after the success of The Favorite. I mean, we should mention nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one Olivia Coleman, a, a best actress. So he is like yeah. recognized now by the filmmaking community, which, um, kind of brings light what you were saying, Jed, it's still kind of hard to nail down like his specific, like key demographic or, or, uh, or audience. Um, you know, you don't see a ton of people espousing, uh, the films of Yorgos Lanthimos, like just every day online. But, mm-hmm. um, it seems like people are very interested in him. Yeah, he also no, has become more accessible. I think his, his yes. films. I mean, you can just point to like the recent three lobsters and A twenty four release, yes. um, and then Sacred Deer. So I think it's also A twenty four and favorite Academy Awards. Like, he certainly is is a little bit easier to pick up, and I think the favorite is far easier to pick up on than the rest of his films. And I I also think too there's, yeah, like you said, it's not just it's just as the distribution. You know, it's like the actual material. Even though, I mean, the concept of, of the lobster doesn't like seem approachable if you were to like write it down, but it it, it is weirdly. I don't know. I think he's also couple... switched over to. I mean, we should mention that's basically the point that he switches to English language as well. True, that's right. also true. Yeah. English language and recognizable performers, not yeah. not just Greek performers. And again, I think he's worked with some pretty good Greek performers, but yeah, in terms of uh, English language How... and American markets. At this point, I think I want Yorgos Lanthimos's uh, King's Speech. After Chip's uh, Colin Firth mix-up, mm. let's just go back. And do you think it, do you think his version of that movie wins Best Picture? No, I don't think <laughs> that's so. Actually a, <laughs> that's actually a really good question that we should save maybe for the end. Is like, all right, you have one movie that Yorgos Lanthimos can remake. Uh, what uh, would you want to see? Imagine a build-up of an entire movie centered around whether this guy can give like good speeches and then like the payoff being a fucking Yorgos Lanthimos monologue <laughs> that would be oh. a loser yeah that would, that would be tough <laughs> um all right you guys want to get into the rankings I I'm gonna be completely honest like well first Evan Evan you want to read us off all seven of the movies that we we'll ranking today so I think we're ranking six six yes. apologies yes. six movies yeah sorry my best um friend. my, my best, best friend, friend. Is his first movie. He co-directed it, and it's almost impossible to find anywhere online. So yeah. we we decided to forego that one. Um, but the other ones in order of of release were Kaneda, uh, Dogtooth, and Alps, which are all um, Greek language um, films, and then uh, the Lobster Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Favorite, which are all his English language films. Um, yeah, Hollywood Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. Nice little three and three there. Yep. All right. Do you guys have an opinion on what you think should be? Should be? I, I, I don't know. I don't want to jump to any conclusions. No. Let's jump top, to conclusions. Are the, top, are the top? I mean, the top three. I, I think are pretty. Pretty. I don't clear. think we're doing. Let's, top, hold I, on. I, I would rather establish. I think there are two. No, but I, I'm just saying. I think that's important for the conversation. I don't think so. I don't think that's true. I, I, I'm curious about that. I think there could be varying top threes. Okay. I'm not saying like the, the order, but I'm saying the group that will be the top three, I think, is that set in stone? And then the group that will be the bottom three, is that set in stone? That's more what I'm saying. I, uh, there is a particular movie uh, with a crustacean animal and its title that's not in my top three. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, that's not happening. Okay. Um, Let's yeah, start with number six. Kaneda. What do you guys have? I mean, Kaneda is that? Yeah, I think that I think that Kaneda or Alps for me. It's Kaneda or Alps for sure, uh, which is interesting because so Alps was made in 2011, right? Alps is after Dogtooth, 
Am yes. I correct in that? Yes. Which is pretty interesting if you watch those movies. Yes. Um, but yeah, Kaneda is like, or again, I think like all Anthemos, it's a fascinating premise, right? Yeah. And there is something super intriguing about these people that don't really speak for a lot of the film and are so have come separately to this obsession with death. I mean, they're recreating uh, these murder scenes on film and on camera and recasting themselves and, and using this knowledge. But it's it's almost like what happens when you start hanging out with your work buddies too much or your hobby buddies and then you become real buddies and shit gets tricky. Right. Um, I almost think this movie would be better if it was a silent movie completely or if it was like if it was all silent except for when they were on scene and the uh, the character with the camera was directing and giving um, actions because that the, again it's almost like going from the negative with the emotion thing like the more time went between dialogue the more that dialogue did kind of stand out and pop um, but I don't particularly like that it's the a great movie it'd be a great play pretty boring like, great, like, like student like high school play yeah i'm yeah i think it actually to me there's more interesting stuff in canetta than in alps um stuff that i'd be interested in in kind of digging deeper into sure. however the movie the way it plays out is just a little it's just not that fun of a watch and yeah. you don't really have like i just don't really enjoy watching it that much even though a couple of those scenes like the first time that they do the reenactment I think is really interesting with that wide shot. Um, we should also mention this movie has like some of the wildest handheld shaky cam mm-hmm. ever. It's like and almost it's, it's 35 millimeter. I'm pretty sure or something close to 35 millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was like these, these two was just like put them on the table for me. I, I really struggled uh, with, with, I really struggled with Kaneta. Um, just like getting into it um i don't know if i liked the which movie i like the premise of more but i i would say maybe it was like a hair easier for me to to get into alps than it was canetta but i don't yeah. i don't know i'm i'm fine with either of these five six in any order so i'll leave that up to you guys i think that the performances in alps are a little bit more intriguing to me and i think that if you had better performances in canetta that really did you know kind of justify such long takes and holding on characters being silent for such a long time, then I would have rolled with it a little bit more. Um, But I do think Kaneda 6, Alps 5 is kind of where I would shoot for. I'm good with that. Yeah, I will say Alps looks really good. I like the way Alps looks. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's the type of show, lots of those settings, I feel like another thing about Yorgos especially in his early career, he uses, he uses like three sets and he just uses them over and over and over again. It's a really like economical way of, of making movies and he establishes them very early on. You know, like even in Dogtooth, very early on, we go to the dad's work, we're at their house and he just kind of establishes like these are the two places that you're going to see action unfold. Um, and it's funny, and Alps, he does that really well. Like he keeps coming back to like the gym and then... Yeah, a couple of the houses, but okay, cool. Looks, so but I'm, I'm good, good with that. Six five. Okay. Yeah, and then I did like in Alps how so so one of the uh, tropes of Yorgos is his orchestras that he likes to open his movies with, and that's where yeah, um, it's it's a fun one because you got the orchestra at the beginning and the dance, and then the pop song at the end with the gymnast, and she actually like has color in her outfit at the end. That movie's really fucked up though. Like all these movies. Are yeah. Up. But like when she so so. When she walks in and the gymnast is like trying to hang herself and she like, yes. kicks the box away, that is so fucked up. Um, and there's there's sometimes you don't feel the build coming with Yorgos movies because everything is just like right here and it's just staying yes. out. So like the bottom drops out and you never see it coming. So it has more of an impact. But then it's over and you're like, what just happened? Like you didn't, you you don't feel like adjusted back to the movie because it well, was out of left field. Yes, and the characters are hardly reacting. I mean, in that scene yeah. that you're describing, the the main character runs up, saves her life, and it's essentially like that was immature of you to do. Yeah. And then she just goes home and just so goes on weird. about her life. Like there's no reckoning with what's happening in lots of his movies. Yeah, it's an, it's kind of similar to like Colin Farrell has that a few times in in Killing of a Sacred Deer. When he's like first delivered the news in one of the greatest exposition dumps of all time, 
mm-hmm. um, by uh, by Barry Keown, and he just kind of goes home and and has dinner, you know, mm-hmm. like, and you can tell it's weighing on him to an extent, but it's it's hard to move on, like, as the viewer when the characters are, I don't know, you're just like stuck on it. Yeah. Okay. Five six. We got Kaneda at six, and we got Alps at five. Mm-hmm. Um, this number four is where I have dog tooth slotted. And this, this is where I have the lobster, which this I is know fun. is going to be rejected because this is Evan's number one. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's assuming, not, it's oh my God. Chip, I'm for show. Not, I'm for show. Not letting you, uh, so lobster, at four. lobster is epic. Lobster is fucking it's sick. awesome, dude. I don't so, understand. This is the one I'm so confused about with you, chip, because like, it even has John C. Riley doing John C. Riley stuff in this movie. Like what? Also, John C. It's not just, He's, it's not just about, the John C. Riley of it all. It's not just about, but like, like you talk about like creating these worlds in the weirdest way. This is like the most accessible world he creates, right? Like we all know these like near future dystopia type movies, like, and TV shows. Like you can literally just, just think of, of like Handmaid's Tale, right? Like that's a perfect example of like a super popular uh, TV show with a premise that is like really like, not that crazy far off of of like what he's he's trying to do. So I don't I don't know. I I love the lobster. I I personally have it at number two. I think it needs to be I, I it has to be in the top three. Non-negotiable. I hear what you guys are saying. You guys are all making very true statements about the first half of this film. I think that once they leave the hotel, I do not buy what's happening and i'm not interested in what's happening frankly the ho- I, I i will say i liked it more this time i liked the lobster more on this research watch i will be 100 i thought it was funnier i thought that the performances were better um than i previously thought but again i'm just hung up on when he breaks out of the hotel and goes into the woods i just i lose interest i think the i think the hotel is such a more fascinating concept and i think that olivia coleman's character and again the relationship he has with with q uh, from our Bond films, Ben Wishaw and and John C. Riley is interesting. The relationship that he the the different relationships that he's forming with, um, you know, all the the characters and their little character traits that they're trying to find, is I don't know funnier to me and really darker. Like I think that dark humor works better. And then Leia Sadu is like setting out these rules, and I'm like I don't care. I just I, I'm not I'm I'm not invested in the story anymore. I'm not I'm no longer invested in where Colin Farrell character is going to end up and i think rachel weiss is like good and fine and it's interesting like how they are like trying to like because you know they, they have to like shatter the illusion of um like the one character that they share but then at the end he goes to blind himself and it's like well nothing actually changed and if it, it, i think it would have been more powerful if he didn't which again i guess he didn't actually show him blinding himself so maybe he didn't and maybe he ran away Lanthimos likes to end his movies, not really 100% sure what, what's about to happen. Maybe he didn't stab himself with that knife and he just kind of left her there. Who knows? But the hotel and everything that's happening there and the, 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 the sets and the production of it all is so much more interesting to me than the second half of the movie. See, but I think the second half of the movie is so important to create that, like, the mirror image of, like, oh, even though you escaped, like, you're still in this really strict, like, dystopian hell. When he sure. gets to the foreign, it's like, no, you can't like there's no you can't have sex, you can't have a relationship with any any of the other loners. Like you have to be alone. Like like flirt like you can't even flirt. Right. So you think you escape, but you actually end up in this like I mean, in a lot of ways, arguably like much worse fate. And then the whole I don't know, I like I like the whole bit of like trying to get out of it and I like the Rachel Weiss uh relationship and 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 I think the blind thing is really interesting. The one thing I couldn't get over from the ending of The Lobster is when she's sitting in the you know like in the booth i was like i was like kept thinking about what would wes anderson do and it would show colin farrell like sprinting in the parking lot like running away i was i don't know why but i was just like this feels so like wes anderson-y where she's just like blind sitting there and then all of a sudden you see him like running in a dead sprint out of the diner um but yeah i I don't know that happens then lobster's number one on my list so i think it's legit i think it's legit it's unbelievable. I think it's so good. I think there's only one other movie that, that, I mean, just a little bit peeks ahead, but the lobster, 
yeah, I'm fucking, I'm in. I'm in on the lobster. Um, I just want to point out, we haven't talked that much about how funny Yorgos Lanthimos' movies are. And that's almost one of the most messed up parts about his movies is how funny that, at least I believe that they are. And I think it's a huge testament to his sense of humor that, yes, when you're sitting there in that final scene in The Lobster looking at her in that diner, you half expect Colin Farrell to just go running across in the background. And is that way more broad than most of the comedy that, like, Yoros does? Yes. Like, Wes Anderson is much more broad in some of his comedy yeah. where he's like, farts are funny, you know, like, or, or somebody making just, like, a wisecrack, like a dad joke is funny. Um, and Yorgos it doesn't quite do that, but the fact that you even believe that it's possible in that scene, I feel like, is like such a testament to him. Yeah, it's 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 true. Even like the little game, that the lobster. I don't know. God, it's so hard. I was gonna. Say I mean, it's the funniest of these movies, dude. But like the game they play, where what's it called? Uh, touch, feel, guess, win. Because he never guesses. He never guesses or never tells her that she guesses wrong. She's only yeah. Like, she guesses a like, kiwi for a tennis ball. And he's like, yeah. all right, you want it? Ten out to ten again. <laughs> so I don't good. know if that's the right accent or not. Yeah, uh, yeah. ish, ish. Good sure. shot. So can I tell you guys? I I have killing of a sacred deer at four. I would. Wow. I would listen to this if the one two is solidified. Like I'm I'm willing to sacrifice sacred deer and i should i i i was being i was fascinating i do have lobster number one but or i but it almost like dead heat um but yeah killing of a sacred deer and this isn't a knock i just to me there is a solidified top three it's not a knock at all um and i think we're gonna have to have maybe a dog tooth conversation what's that chip so that means that two of the three of us have dog tooth in our top three yes oh wow okay go ahead Let's I, fucking go. Let's yes. fucking go. So, okay, I'm fine with I'm fine with sacred deer at four. But I don't and, know if I want sacred deer at four. I kind of want lobster. This at four. is where you you need to start making Dude, decisions. Chip. That is I've so attached, greedy. I've attached. I, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. Babe. So you're you're like a clear top three for you, and then lobster is like at a clear top of the second. Yeah, lobster is. I think lobster is very clearly much better than Alps and Canetta. Um, and I think that there is, you know, I think that I don't want to get too deep into it. I think that I can I can live with dog tooth at three, and I think I can or at four. I could live with dog tooth four, killing of a sacred deer three. In the spirit okay. of compromise, because I, I want yeah. to be, I want to shake hands, I want to kiss babies, I want to I want to lead with love. I'm willing to make that happen. I would I would be willing to make that concession, even though I'd feel bad. And like as as like the the resident Lanthimos head, I feel like it's almost sacrilege that I'm I'm not pushing for Dogtooth more because it's just such like the movie that thrusts him on the scene. Fuck I'm willing. I'm willing to make that compromise, but I think we should also talk about Dogtooth for a minute. Yeah, yeah Dogtooth no. at four. Yeah. Talk is at four. Lock it in. Okay. Let's talk about let's talk about uh, Dog Tooth though, because this is a deeply, deeply fucked up movie. This yes. movie, like, I, I don't. I think there's a world where like there the other movies like hint at at like this guy's maybe not okay, but you know maybe he's just kind of got a quirky like view on the world and shows it in a funny way. Dog Tooth, I was like, oh 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 no oh oh god. Uh, was kind of just my full reaction. There is an evil in Dogtooth. There is like a core sadistic evil that permeates this entire movie. Um, and it's juxtaposed, obviously, like I think brilliantly with his wide shots of, of this greenery and, and often characters like wearing white amidst this garden. There's definitely some... Uh, um, you know, we joke about the the most famous book of all, but there's definitely some like I feel like some biblical feel to some of the imagery with with the characters wearing white in this garden. Um, but it just has like the most rotten heart at its core that is so like starkly <laughs> shown just like over and over and over until we finally like you almost like succumb to this movie a little bit, similarly to the the characters. 
It might also be his funniest movie. It's really <laughs> funny. Dude, like, the airplane in the yard. With the airplane, the cat monologue. <laughs> yes. uh, what, what, what is, where did you hear the word pussy? Oh, pussy means light. Zombie means yellow flowers. Yes. When he's like, when the, the eldest son, when he, uh, the first time that Christina comes in for, for sex and he's like working out with the little stretchy bands. Yes. That is so funny. And yes, it is, it is an undertone of, um, holy fuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I, I really don't like the sibling sex. It really bothers me. It's tough. Also, I'm like. They might actually like it. It looks like they have sex. Like they, it's it's either some really good prosthetics Dude. work they got going on, or like there was some penis vagina action. I thought the same thing. I was like, how? Because the take is so long. I'm like, when are they gonna cut so that they can, you know, pull the pull the movie magic? And they just never did. Yorgos um, Lanthimos doesn't like cuts. He, he went he, like, all... unless it's uh, a, a night cut. Yeah, um, he has not all like, of the CGI budget on the sex scene. <laughs> just yeah. like, just, just, but he, I don't think to make the movie that he he could ultimately or wanted to make, like he couldn't pull that punch. Like it no. it it almost had to happen to an extent, and it had to happen the way it did, which like anything was like an analytical decision. You the conversation between the dad and the mom, where he's deciding to basically let his son choose between his two sisters it is such like a, a quick matter of fact conversation you almost don't exactly know what they're talking about and then all of a sudden he's in the bathtub and you're like oh my god like we this is we're about to watch like the the playbook written on how to like destroy your children's lives i i don't know there's something about it that's like it yeah. it makes the yeah, the whole it, thing. I don't know. Movie is deeply fucked up. Um, yeah, you want to talk about power dynamics? Yes. This movie is entirely about control and power, and it's so we talked about this in the group text and like kind of how to talk about it. But there's an interesting theme of kind of like mental handicap stuff that kind of runs through some of his movies, and this is interesting. I think we'll talk about it maybe more with Killing the Sacred Deer specifically, but if with this movie, it's almost like forced. Like, he's basically stunting his own children's mental fortitude and creating uh, uh, mental barriers and making them mentally handicapped. And it's really sad and disgusting. And I don't know if it's, like, his take about, like, you know, how like how parenting works and, like, extreme fundamentalism or something like that. Um, because, again, this isn't real, but maybe you learn something about how the real world works in this alien world. And it's uh, uh-huh. just a kind of extreme parable work. Um and I think the father is just, I mean, because it's, it's clear that, like, I mean, both the father and the mother characters are, are evil, um, yeah. are pushing this evil on their ch- kids. But even still, like, it seems like the father is uh, definitely calling the shots. And, uh, you know, like, the mm-hmm. mom is having to, like, crawl and woof along with the kids. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, the mom is like the psyop, right? Like she's like the the infiltration from like government authorities to kind of like that's how you get the buy-in, you know? Sure, like they how, can go how, with it. Yeah, like how like like the whole the the conspiracy theory about like all the FBI agents, you know, being a part of January sixth and stuff. It's like she's like her participation is almost proving to the kids that it's like it's it's top down, you know, it's yeah. it's top to bottom. Um but yeah, th- is it possible that this is like somehow his most personal film as well? Because wanna, in this I movie, I don't want to talk about that. That's like no, but in his, in his, in in this movie, he his own characters create their own world, and and the characters inside that world only know what they've been told by the creator of the world, um, and that just feels like very much like his entire style is creating these worlds in which his characters. Are, are only thinking about and only recognize the things that, that he chooses to uh, to populate that world with. I think it has the most fucked up final shot of any Lanthimos film, just the, the drunk. Because you can yes. interpret that so many different ways, and yeah. all of them are awful. Yeah. Also, another big return. We didn't talk about it in Kineta, but one of my favorite parts of Kineta is at the beginning when he's walking along the road wearing the, the suit and tie. 
because it's such like an interesting visual. Same thing in in Dogtooth with the girl standing in front of the mirror, you know, deciding whether to mutilate herself. I mean, that is like directly ripped in The Lobster. There's a lot of mutilation in these movies. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, there is. Um, But similar to Kaneda, it's like he clearly saw in his mind's eye forever it would be really interesting to see a dude in a suit and tie walking down the highway and he's now put it in two of his movies. And he's like the, basically the only examples I can think of that, you know, you can think of like people hitchhiking and stuff, but that specific visual, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. So, so there's no record of Yorgos Lanthimos having a sister. So I feel a little bit better um, <laughs> about this being his most personal. <laughs> uh, most personal does not mean that he's, he's, I, taken, I, he's done the actions of make, all the characters. Making a joke, making a joke. Um, I feel I, like, like this I, movie really got to you though. You're, you're, you're squirming. Yeah. yeah this, I mean, I was it was super uncomfortable for me uh, to watch this movie, and I think like you talked about like the power politics and the family dynamics uh, of the movie, and just like I don't even want to say this, but like trying to imagine like as a father, like what it like how fucking contorted you'd have to be to like just have this whole situation like set up. I don't know. It, it's really, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, I thought the biblical thing is kind of a good shout. Um, it's kind of like a fucked up Garden of Eden in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, what I did find out, Googling if he has a sister or not, uh, is that he was on the creative team that designed the opening and closing ceremonies for the 2004 Olympics in Athens. Oh, that makes sense. Greece. So that would have been, I mean, that's before he even directs a movie because uh, yeah. Ked is 05. So, I mean, maybe it's around that time, but he's, he's certainly not known. Um, no, no. Nope. Um, which is cool. Okay. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, killing a sacred deer? So, is there any chance the lobster can go here? Is there nope. any chance? Because I like killing a sacred deer more than the lobster. Yeah, I mean, you like it, but Evan's got it number one. I've got it number two. It's not fucking going... We're gonna have to compromise too much. I regret about- it. This is this yeah. is this is this is why moderate politics don't work. Um. <laughs> so what what about killing of a sacred deer? Really? Because I agreed. To, like I came into this basically with the same rankings that I'm I'm gonna talk to you guys about today into my rewatch. But I felt very strongly about killing of a sacred deer being at number four. And on the most recent watch, I was. I was almost rethinking it, and and but I want you to talk about why you're like high because you you have this movie at number two on your list. Me? Um, or, no, I would two. say around there. It's it's okay. It's, two or three, depending yeah, honestly, on. Honestly, you could go one through three. I think. Oh, okay. um, Well, no, I think it would go one through two. Um, okay. Killing Your Sacred Deer fucks. That that that's what I have to say. I think this movie yes. uh, this movie fucks really hard, and I think um, it's my it's it's obviously my preferred. Of the Colin Farrell uh, works works with Yorgos. Um, I'm not. I'll confess that I'm not the biggest Nicole Kidman fan, which I recognize that she's very popular. She's you know a, a bona fide movie star, uh, Academy Awards, uh, Emmys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I'm not compelled by her emotionally, um, which you put her in a Yorgos Lanthimos movie where you don't have to be emotionally compelling, and I'm, I'm, yes. all, I'm a little more on board. A little, a little more on board with your delivery and your uh, presence. It pairs really well. Yes, it's, I mean it's it's just a rebuke of of um, a kind of society and a kind of picket fence, two kids and a dog life that I that I'm really on board with, um, exposing kind of the dark underbelly and exposing you know you can read a lot into it about the, the different healthcare systems in the world mm-hmm. and uh, you know how. You know the 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 freedom that you let your kids have, or how you parent your kids, and parenting is is again coming up here. But um, I think cinematography, I think the score, I think that Barry Keoghan's performance, which again I think he is, if not directly, I think he is alluding to some interesting mental stuff going on. Whether that stuff has to do with like the character being on the spectrum or something like that, but he uh, he he almost talks like a shadow of a normal person. Whereas I think some of those movies, they just don't talk to normal people at all. But Barry Keoghan 
it almost does seem like he is a normal person through a filter or a normal like a and again not not to say that anyone's you know the neurotypical people obviously it's not saying was like not normal but in terms of just how speech patterns work and in how thinking comes out and is communicated there's something very different and i think very compelling going on with that performance that ultimately does turn sinister but is also like very fact-based like when he's like spouting off about like okay i have to tell you how much time i have to tell you exactly yes. like you have to kill this and you have this amount of time and these steps this step this steps you know um i can almost see someone actually doing that which i don't normally with lanthimos and uh that's really interesting to me and i don't fully understand it uh but i am i am moved by the images i see um yeah, I, I, I like this movie. Um, I think not nearly as much as I liked what I have in my top two, but this was firm firm number three in my personal uh, rankings. First of all, just this is a great – the opening is just great for watch guys. You know, just, just a little bit of watch talk. Yep. Mm -hmm. You just got to love it. And it kind of goes on for, like, way longer than you expect it to. Way too long. Um, which, which I thought was cool. But, no, I think – by the way, is it Barry Keown or is it Keegan? I thought it was Keegan. We can take that offline, but I, I didn't... Uh, Great question. I, I thought it was you know, Keegan. Keegan. I think I've heard both. Um, yeah, but anyway... Barry, Barry uh, K, you know, BK. But yeah, BK. Barry K. Um, Barry <laughs> K sounds amazing. Sounds like a cereal. Oh, did you have your Barry K this morning? Um, <laughs> did, anyway, I, I really like... I really like this performance. It's... It kind of... Was this his, like, first big movie? I didn't... I feel like this is. I hadn't seen this. Was like a first time watch for me. Um, I don't know. Evans are Evans are a uh, Barry K specialist. I this is the first time I had seen him. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that means it's his it's his first movie. I will um, say he so, he also had Dunkirk, I believe, that same year. Maybe same year, same year. Yeah. I don't think he has any lines in. Isn't he? Isn't he mute in Dunkirk for the most yeah, part? Yeah, he he pretty much is. He he just says you know like. I want to help, something like that. Yeah, which I guess most most characters don't, which is why it's it's one of Nolan's best because Nolan also has interesting takes on how humans talk in dialogue, but that's another yeah. conversation. Um, yeah, I, I I will say, Barry Keoghan does have a, a five minute scene as the Joker and a deleted scene in the new Batman, which has the internet is very divided on, but I personally kind of like that scene. Those that that I think it, I, I make sense why it was deleted, but I like his performance as the Joker in those five minutes. And I can see why Matt Reeves saw this movie and was like, this guy needs to play the clown prince of crime. This guy has an understanding of human psychology and has takes on how uh, to approach, you know, evil, essentially perpetrating yeah. evil and also um, having conversations about it. That is interesting to uh, play this, this homicidal maniac. Did Matt Reeves see this movie and think that, or did he see the green Knight and think that? Because, no, he uh, saw this movie. Come on, I think it was this movie. He saw he his take on on his version of Joker is that he's gonna make him the nastiest, weirdest, freakiest, most disgusting yeah. guy in the world. Yeah, like that's yeah, what those, this guy lips. is. I mean, it, if he went, it honestly his his takeaway from the Green Knight could have been going more like the Jack Nicholson route, yeah, and making him like actually like the prince, you know, like mm -hmm. the clown prince, which would be I feel like maybe even more interesting. To, to I mean, out. and we'll see if he even return. Like this might, this he, he might literally just be the Joker for five minutes. I don't. Yeah, it doesn't seem likely, considering you know this. These are still studios who have uh, certain amounts of say in what they want to see on screen. But he is a real standout in this movie, and he, he is. I don't know if he's my favorite. I think he might be my favorite male Lanthimos performance. I'll put it that way. Okay. Yeah, I mean. It's definitely possible. His performance – there are a few scenes. Um, the two that come to mind are the spaghetti scene when he's talking to Nicole Kidman. I think that scene is, like, unbelievable. And, and again, coming back to, like, the non-sequiturs that, that Yorgos throws in there, it's like you're so off guard all the time throughout these conversations. And he uh, he exemplifies that perfectly in, in just absolutely buying into that story about the spaghetti. And then the scene in the basement when he bites his arm is, like, straight out of a horror movie. Like that scene is is terrifying. Yeah, as um, you say, it's a metaphor. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, Lanthimos makes horror movies that aren't horror movies, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
horrifying yeah. movies. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay. I, we need to get on to to one and two. I get before, before we do that. Uh, we've got Kaneda at six. We've got Alps at five. Dogtooth at four. Travesty. Sacred Deer at three. Now, what am I going to slot in at two? Personally, I have the lobster here. I mean, I have to make that concession. You're going to have to meet me here, Evan. It's time. It's time to give me what I want, which is to not put lobster number one. No, no. Do you want to not put lobster number one, or do you want to put the favorite as number one? It's like 51-49. Okay. Um, We talked a little bit about lobster already. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it. But I want to talk about the favorite because this movie is fucking incredible. It is so it is so funny. It is uh, it's got like the best of his like kind of like interest in human psychology and like kind of the weird way that people talk. But throwing that in uh, Imperial Britain is just like also incredible setting for it. Uh, speaking of of favorite uh, performances. Uh, Nicholas Holt as Harley in this movie is like male performances is just incredible. The physical, like the physical comedy, everything he does, like in the way he moves his body, the way he plays with his like cane, how he's never seen without his giant ass wig on is all just like chef's kiss. Uh, perfection. I, I really love that. Obviously I think um, the real stars of the movie are, are the, the three lead female performances, but uh, I would have been remiss without talking about how much I love his performance. I really like the favorite. Like this was, I'm not going to lie. Like there's like, there's some movies in here that I will definitely like, I, there are movies that I enjoyed like killing a sacred deer, but I probably won't be returning to anytime soon. There are movies that um, I really enjoyed and, and probably will return to like the lobster, but then there's movies like the favorite where like I could watch this uh, probably like, couple times a year and and still find lots of things to enjoy about it it's such a rich text uh and i i just loved it yeah yeah uh, this movie so I, I just love this is everything nicholas holt does now he like he was in like franchise movies and now he's like now i will play fancy men in powdered wigs and i will do i um, blush on because he's in like hbo shows doing this too like this is just his lane now and i and i i fucking love it and i'm good for him also a shout out to mark gaddis in a wig as well. That's I always love to see him pop up. Uh, one of my favorite British kind of character actors. But yeah, the big three um, of Emma Stone, Olivia Coleman, and Rachel Weisz. I think so. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I'm not like the biggest Emma Stone fan. Like I like her, and I think That's she's like borderline blasphemy. <laughs> good, but I've Easy never. A like, is literally canon. In so so okay, Easy A is great. Easy A, I, I think this and Easy A are my two favorite Emma Stone roles. Um, oh, wow. But I've never been sold as she's like, oh, she's like Meg Ryan, or she's like saving, you know, Hollywood, uh, and she's, you know, the new legend. And I'm like, she's good, but I've never been fully on board. But this performance, I think, is probably one of my two favorites of hers, and I think she is excellent. I mean, she's basically playing a scam artist, right? And I love scam artists. Like, I, that's one of my favorite, like kind of tropes in, in movies is uh, the person who can lie and scheme their way to the top and kind of use whatever means necessary, right? Um, and, I mean, obviously, the Coleman totally deserved the Oscar for this. Uh, the way she just, like, faints in during that one speech where she's, like, kind of trying to sell mm-hmm. it is so fun. You can just see, like, you can see the wheels turning in how Queen Anne is going to, like, sell this because she's scared of the speech. It's so funny. Um but it's 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 a very darkly comedic movie, and, and again, I think it is his most accessible plot-wise. I think it's his most traditional storytelling, um, which is you know maybe telling some more about me in terms of why I like it the most. That you know it is kind of the most I guess Hollywood friendly. I mean, a period drama is a good way to like get a big swath of people just to see your movie and to kind of retell the story of a historical figure that people know and put a new twist on it. Right? That's kind of a tried and true formula. Um, but you know, he, he obviously puts his own length and most spin on it. And it is, it's probably his most, uh, Kubrick influenced with some of the music, with some of the music, like musical notes and score and stuff that he's doing. Yeah. If we're going to continue the, the Lanthimos Wes Anderson comparison, like this is his, 
Grand Budapest Hotel, right? Like it's his probably most most like accessible, like you said, most most like standard Hollywood that you can get people that haven't necessarily fully heard of of like Lanthimos's uh, deal into the theater to to see this movie. Whereas right. I feel like others, you would have like a tough tougher time. Yeah, I I just want as far as. Emma Stone goes in this movie. She's a character so unlike almost any other character that he has in any of his movies. Yeah. Uh, I'm very interested in that. She brings like a completely different energy. Um, and Chip, it's funny that you said, you know, she's like this Hollywood savior or something because it's like she gets to give the most Hollywood performance that he's ever, you know, given a, a, an actor in one of his movies. Um, undoubtedly. Right. She gets to throw the temper tantrums on the floor. And even Olivia Coleman, who's who has similar tendencies. I'm um, like that character also is very complainy. Um, uh, often is prone, like you were saying, to literally using her physical ailments to uh, to kind of like advance her interests. Um mm-hmm. She's she kind of is pathetic. She's like she kind of has to play a pathetic queen. Oh, yes. Dude, when she's like laying very. down with the gout like the first scene with the gout and she's like, ah. it's like the saddest, yes. like, like horse dying. Yeah. it's crazy. And that's very Lanthimos thing, right? Like lots of his characters are very pathetic. I mean, in Dogtooth, half the time you're sitting there, like whether it's the parents or the kids, you're like, these people are just not desirable people at all. Or like, I don't desire anything about their life. Um, mm-hmm. And they just seem to be like completely down on their luck. Um, but yeah, this movie is amazing. I also want to mention this movie looks incredible. It's it's for sure the best looking movie that he's made, in my opinion. Um, and part of that is just how many different techniques he's using. You talked about the fisheye cam. Um, he has multiple like hard pans that are really interesting, um, like with characters moving to and from the camera. Yeah. Um, a couple of good tracking shots through those big halls. It seemed like he was having fun with a, with a bigger budget than normal. And yeah. again, those are all Kubrick things. The, the yeah, hard for sure. It reminds me of the when Jack is swinging the axe yes. through the door and shining in the tracking shots, obviously. Yeah. yeah. He also, in this movie, like like you said, the, the camera's having a lot of fun. Um, I think it's having a lot of fun in setting the... He, this is probably where he takes like the most time uh, setting the stage for like what the world of like English court yeah. is, I think obviously because it's real, so he, I think he can settle into it a little bit more rather than having to tell you. Yeah, um, but he has really he has a lot of fun, like even with like the duck races and like all the weird like little like quirky shit that they do. <laughs> yeah, do all the money. Yeah, Horatio, he's Horatio. the fastest duck in the palace. It's the funniest shit. It's amazing. It I is, know. and even like the way they talk about, and it's really dark, but like. The way that they'll talk about the war is just so, like, throwaway. Like, you're just picturing, like, what war... We've seen plenty of movies, right, to know what the war looked like back then. And they're just kind of like, tough week on the front, you know? Like, back to the wigs. I think that's probably, too, like, a bit... That probably is true to an extent of, like, the detachment that they had from, like, the wars they were waging on other soil. You know, it's like they didn't have to deal with the bloodiness of it, right? It wasn't... They weren't... You know, I'm sure they were getting reports For back, sure. but it's not like there was pictures or movies, you know, or anything. That's where they definitely changed it. now, right? Our politicians yeah. seem to be much more uh, empathetic when it comes to the victims of war. Yeah. Love living in 21st century America. Big yeah. fan of the empathy displayed by our ruling leaders. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> Sorry, I'm so sorry. I don't even know. I don't even know where to go from there because, like, I want to launch into a whole different conversation because I really am fascinated uh, by by that conversation. Join us but, next week when Chomsky is going to join and break down uh, the movements of the of, of <laughs> troops well, across uh, the lands. Um, yeah, but no, I mean this lands. This movie in my in my head like is like so clear, clearly far and away like I think his best. I think yeah he flashes something different that if you watch the rest of the filmography that you maybe don't know he, he had in him. Um, and what's his next project? It's, uh, it's something, it, I think he's working with Emma Stone again. It's, right? Yeah. It's called poor things. Um, Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Margaret Qualley, Mark Ruffalo, um, Catherine Hunter. Those are some names. It was Ooh, Christopher Hunter, was Abbott. Best, yeah. Christopher, right. Christopher Abbott. Um, it'll be a Victorian tale of love, discovery, and scientific daring. 
Man, has he found maybe back his new a young woman brought back to life by an eccentric scientist? Let's go. Dude. That sounds so. Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, Yorgos Lanthimos is um, that's a that's an intersection of a lot of things that I'm very interested in. Yeah, one hundred percent. That is um, I'm really excited to see who plays who. But that plot description has me like that sounds like the most Lanthimos it plot description ever. It's like well, Emma I mean, so, so Evan was talking about sci-fi, right? And how he doesn't sci-fi. really, like, I guess Lobster is kind of sci-fi in, like, the, the concept of, you know, putting a person into a, an animal. But this is, you know, this this is beyond that, it seems like. Bringing some, which maybe, maybe it won't even, like, be a big part. Maybe it'll just be like, oh, meet this person. We raise them from the dead. And then they just yeah. carry on. Like, it, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Either. Could be. His characters are not very interested in explaining things, usually. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, 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 that's one of my favorite parts of, of the lobster is when he turns that heartless bitch that kills his brother, who is the dog, uh, into an animal, but won't say what it was. Like, what do we like think the, it was? Like a worm? I don't know. Maybe. That's uh, a good one, actually. I hadn't thought about like a smaller creature. Yeah, what if like an cause ant? Because they even say like. Uh, if you break the rules or you do something or if you lie, they're going to turn you into the most pathetic animal, but they never say what the most pathetic animal is. So it would be interesting. Did you guys think about what animals you would want to be? Yeah, I mean, I think it's about time for us to to chat about that. Uh, I know. Evan's got to have an answer. Yeah, I mean, my favorite animal has always been been a tiger. I just feel like you're, you're like at the top. I, like I would love to be running around in those woods as a tiger. Okay. Chip, also, can we talk about so second half of that movie? How how um, uh, hilarious is it that in the background of every shot there will be like a peacock or like some crazy animal walking like by? A llama. It's so funny. Yeah. 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 yeah it's epic. Um, I think I would be a dolphin. Ooh, okay. I'd have them change me to dolphin. You want to keep um, your brain. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, you know. They seem also like they have a lot of fun. They are they are one of the uh, aquatic mammals known for their playfulness. So I could vibe on some recreation, get into surfing as a dolphin. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna become a bee so I can die in ecstasy. Wow, <laughs> sick! That's amazing. I mean, isn't when they sting and they die? Like, isn't that like basically orgasmic for them? I have no idea. I'm not. I'm not aware on the. Uh, hormones of of bees i know that like they would they kill and with their or they die when they sting people but i don't know that for some reason it's entirely possible that i'm basing this off of the bee movie yeah 100 percent. but <laughs> for some reason i thought that when they stung it's like a, a, a you know they have a moment yeah i mean good for them that could be that be, could be cool but yeah that's that's interesting i could see buzzing around um okay so we're let's just to wrap things up, we're, yeah. we're saying the favorite is number one and the lobster is number two, right? Yes. yes. I, I okay. feel passionately about this. So we've got the favorite, lobster, sacred deer, dogtooth, Alps, and Canada. I feel good about that list. Um, you know, not least because that's the exact list I had in my notes. Uh, but again, yeah. I didn't really have an opinion. I didn't have an opinion on Canada versus Alps at five six, but that's just what I, my initial like gut wrote down. Um, so so I'm I'm happy with that. I think the favorite is just so spectacular. It's what a what a movie that is, and I'm really the favorite excited. Looks amazing too, like yes. not yes. the photography, but the the production design and like I understand that the costumes are like not technically period appropriate, but they're still spectacular. And the the rooms and the mm-hmm. uh, just everything that's going on from your bed chambers, and, dude, like the color the like color grading is awesome yeah. on the movie. It's like it's kind of a it's all subdued tones, but it's like you really see the greens on their dresses and stuff. Yeah. Like it's really cool. I really love. I love like the the shots. I really loved were all the candlelit shots. Like when the of them yeah. walking walking through the hall. Um, yeah. Like the, the the doorway that connects their chamber. Um, the one where she discovers Emma Stone in bed with with the Queen is also mm-hmm. really good. Um, that like, and then like the way she's walking away and she like starts yeah. to pick her head off the pillow. Um, I thought that was really good, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was pretty clear. But man, uh, the lobster, Evan, I I get it. I'm I'm in. I'm full lobster hive. It's good. It's really good. I'm glad it is one of the funnier movies of the last 
however many years, in my opinion. And I don't know. I never tire of it, honestly. I, I continue to watch and and am kind of blown away every time, even when that lady's screaming after she jumps out of the third story window. Oh God, it's so bad. I, it's, there's so many weird quirk things, like when she, the the heartless chick pretends to choke, and, and, yeah. and then like takes out and goes, "I think we're a match." Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty gnarly. Yeah, dude, like Ben were... Wishaw banging his nose over and over. Oh, that yeah. scene is not. He's... See, like some of that stuff. So good. I don't know how he films some of this stuff. Like, how does he fake him slamming his head? I I guess they maybe reverse the footage and it's him picking his head up or something and they they reverse it and speed it up but i don't know how they do some of this stuff it, i don't know either dude like the when he's got the vhs tape wrapped around his hand he's beating his daughter with it in dog tooth or in dog tooth when she's knocking her knocking her the, the yes line, her incisor or dog tooth out like it's just fucking it's ridiculous if i yeah. can say one more thing about favorites um it has the most lynchian final shot of uh of of yorgos's career which he is a student of lynch in his particular again the the non sequiturs and the quirks of human characters is something he picked up from lynch but um uh the, the bunnies are a theme in lynch's work uh in in several things you can look at some of the short films or at movies like inland empire and then just like the overlapping where there's like you have the bunnies and stone and coleman kind of all in the same like interlaid shots that is something that uh are my boy Davy has done a couple of times and pretty effectively. So uh, that, that that resonated with me. That was the last movie I watched on my little binge. So I ended on a nice. Lynch note, which I'm always a fan. <laughs> and I know Lynch uh, loves Dogtooth. And that does that affect why I like Dogtooth more? Maybe I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I'm prone to biases. Oh, all right. Well, uh, this has been the definitive Yorgos Lanthimos ranking. Evan, this was this was one for you, but thank you for forcing us to broaden our horizons. And journey down uh, this strange, this strange but uh, intellectually challenging road. Um, yeah, thank you as always, listeners, for listening. Uh, and follow us on Twitter at Flick and Scream on Instagram at Flicking and Screaming if you haven't already. Next week we have, and next week we are doing Dazed and Confused versus Everybody Wants Some. That is right back on Link Later. And we are uh, basically doing the the OG versus what he pitched as the spiritual successor. So I'm really excited. I love uh, both these movies a lot. It'll be interesting to see um, what you guys think. Both for flicking and screaming. Jed Sprague, JT Tipman, Evan Fagundis. Have a good one, everybody. See ya. Good night, everyone. And now, the starting lineup for your... Jasons, what's up, guys? Are you a slacker? I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. What the hell's going on?